Welcome back to the Jambase Podcast. I'm Andy Kahn, and Jambase is the partner of Osiris Media, the podcast network for music. This episode features the return of guitarist Warren Haynes, who was recently interviewed by our own Scott Bernstein. Scotty and Warren talked about the new Government Mule album, Heavy Load Blues, and much more. It's fitting to have Warren back on the podcast this week as we celebrated the four-year anniversary of the launch of the Jambase Podcast, which happened back in December 2017. Warren appeared on the third episode of the Jambase Podcast and was one of the first musicians to agree to be interviewed when we were first getting started. That interview took place at the Beacon Theater in New York City when Mule was getting ready for their annual New Year's Eve run at the famed venue. More than 100 episodes and scores of interviews later, that remains one of my most memorable experiences, getting to go backstage at the Beacon, ride the storied elevator covered in signatures, and sit with Warren for a thoughtful and interesting interview. Both Scotty and I went to the Beacon back in December 2017 for the interview with Warren, But this time around, Scotty B went solo for his chat with Warren. And unlike last time, when we were squeezed together in a small dressing room, given the COVID-19 pandemic world we're living in right now, this interview was conducted over a video call. Scotty and Warren talked extensively about Government Mule's new album, Heavy Load Blues. Despite being rooted in the blues, the album, which is out now on Fantasy Records, is the first full-fledged blues album released by Mule. Warren talked about the process of recording Heavy Load Blues, which was done at the same time that the band recorded the next Government Mule album, which will be made up of new original songs. Warren discussed being forced off the road due to the COVID-19 pandemic, getting back on stage with Mule, and getting back into touring shape. He also talked about the experience of Mule's Halloween shows in Atlanta, playing Heavy Load Blues in its entirety, as well as the Allman Brothers Band's classic live album, At Fillmore East. The interview also touched on Warren playing with Phil Lesh and Friends as a member of the long-running quintet lineup, his relationship with the late Neil Casal plans for 2022, and much, much more. So let's get to Scotty's interview with Warren Haynes, which we'll lead into with Government Mule's cover of Tom Waits's Make It Rain off of Heavy Load Blues. Welcome back to the Jam Base Podcast. How are you doing today? Good, man. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing terrific. I'm doing terrific. And uh, especially since uh, I've spent a lot of the past few days listening to Heavy Load Blues, which I've really been enjoying. Thank you. And before we get into to talk of the album, there was something that hit me as I was preparing for this interview, and that's that 13 years ago, the current government mule lineup came into place when Jorgen joined the band. And 13 years is a long time. It's also the same amount of time that the final Allman Brothers lineup was together. Yeah. And is that the longest uh, that you've regularly played with the same group of musicians? I would think so. Yeah. I, I can't imagine a situation that lasted longer than that without being interrupted in one way or another. Absolutely. And there's chemistry that comes from from having such a long time playing with the same musicians. Yeah, no question. Uh, You know, the chemistry that happens when musicians first start playing together, it can be immediate. And if if it happens, 
you know, you're thankful for it because uh, you, you can't predict it. You can't force it. But it's really more about what you do with that chemistry. And the longer you keep it together, the more you can do, you know, uh, bands that have been together 5, 10, 13, 27 years, you know, things happen, uh, little forms of communication where you just, you look at each other, you know what the other person's thinking, you know how to get yourself out of a train wreck, you know, uh, and you trust the people you're with and there's a like a collective personality. So uh, there, I can't say enough about that. And speaking to that, did it come quickly once Jorgen joined the band? Yeah, the chemistry with Jorgen was was pretty immediate. Uh, but then it's gotten better and better and better. And, and that's usually the, the way it works out. And with the time off that you had to take from the band due to the pandemic, was it like putting on a, uh, was it like riding a bike for the first time when you guys got back together? Was that chemistry still there or did it take some time? Yeah, it was like riding a bike with a little too, with not quite enough air in the tires. (laughs) Uh, It, you know, it took us some adjusting, uh, both collectively and individually, you know, uh, when Danny Lewis and I did those handful of shows at the South, uh, South farm in Connecticut as a duo, I was amazed at how out of performance shape I was in, uh, because, you know, I was playing at home and, and writing and doing virtual stuff and trying to stay on top of it as much as possible. But touring is a whole different level of being in performing shape. And when you get back out there, you know, you realize in any circumstance, it's going to take a little bit of time to get up to speed. But that's the longest I've gone without performing since I was 15 years old. I can imagine. I can imagine. And again, speaking to that chemistry, you decided to make uh this latest album, a government mule album and not a a solo album. Um, What was your bandmates reaction to the idea when you initially brought it up to them? Well, everybody seemed really into it, which I was pleasantly surprised uh, at. And and that's what I was hoping for. You know, uh, obviously I wanted to gauge everybody's reaction. and, And if, if the excitement factor was lukewarm, then I wouldn't want to do it. But everybody seemed really into the idea. But it was also presented in a way that let's make two records at once. You know, so we because I've been writing so much material over uh, the past couple of years. Uh, at the same time, compiling a list of cover songs for five or six years that I've been thinking would be fun to tackle in a blues world. And I wrote a handful of blues songs during the pandemic, which I normally don't do. I don't really write many what I consider to be blues songs, but all those things combined made it a situation. Well, and also combined with the fact that we had all this time on on our hands and we were all going stir crazy uh, and we couldn't tour, we couldn't travel. So it just seemed like the obvious thing. Let's go in the studio and hold up for longer than we ever have and 
make two records that sound completely different from each other. And so the the task for that was going to be, let's find a studio with two different rooms where we can set up a normal government mule setup in one room and a blues setup in the other room with entirely different equipment and record simultaneously. So uh, we found that at the power station, New England. And so the main room has really high ceilings. It is a really big room. And the what we call the blues room, smaller room with low ceilings. We put a bunch of small amps and a small drum kit in there and recorded with no headphones, with everybody just standing on top of each other, like we were on a tiny stage. Uh, and so the, the the kind of recipe became, let's go around one o'clock, we'd go into the big room and record government mule songs all day that uh, for the next record. And then around nine o'clock PM, we'd move over into the blues room and shut our brains off and play blues the rest of the night and then do the same thing the next day. And so it was very rewarding uh, and a, in hindsight, probably the best remedy for what we were going through. And how long of a period of time were you at the power station, New England? Uh, we were there. I was there about eight weeks, in, okay. including the whole mixing process uh, of, of heavy load and, and everything. But we also rehearsed there. So we, re we rehearsed for a week and then we recorded uh, the, the two records over the, the next three or four weeks. And then we mixed the heavy load blues record. Uh, and so it was, you know, it was the longest I've ever spent in, in the studio at one sitting. And how far from finished is the next Government Mule album, the other one that you were recording? I, I mean, it, it's, pr it's pretty much ready to mix, okay. uh, but that doesn't mean that we won't add some songs or, uh, you know, write something between now and then, or, sure. you know, who knows, but, uh, but we recorded a lot of material that I, I feel is, is 99% ready to go. And the songs for the next album are, have any of them been road tested yet, or is this going to be completely new material to government mule fans? Uh, completely new. Nobody's heard any of this material. And it'll probably stay that way at least till a short period of time before the record comes out. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not a fan these days of revealing the material in advance because with technology being what it is, uh, you know, all your hardcore fans will have tons of different versions of the songs before they even come sure. out. And, that's not a good way to represent uh, the new record, in my opinion. And why did you decide to do the blues record before the traditional Mule album? It just seemed like the right time. You know, uh, the pandemic uh, it just seemed, seemed like the whole world's got the blues right now. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if there were a time to put this out, now's the time. And you had talked earlier about the timing, about how at one o'clock you went in and you worked on the government mule songs. And then at night you worked on the blues material. Um, I, do, how do you think that the time of day 
played out in the material that you recorded for the blues album? Well, I think the blues is kind of meant to be played at night. You know, I remember uh, Buddy Waters saying in an interview after he did uh, the record Hard Again that Johnny Winter produced, uh, he said it was his favorite record that he'd ever done because Johnny let him record at night. And that <laughs> that every other record he made, they made him record during the daytime, and that's not the time to play the blues. Sure. <laughs> now, could you talk about the role that John Paterno had in the making of the album? Well, John is such a, a great engineer, and he's also a, a good guitar player. Um, and we had hired him initially just to be the engineer for the two projects. And he and I spent many uh, hours on the phone discussing what it was going to take to record two projects at the same time. And a lot of that was uh, coming from a technical standpoint would fall on him. And the, the more we got involved in it, the more he just kind of uh, inherited co-production role, the co-production role. Uh, he's really valuable at, at, at that anyway. Uh, so in hindsight, it was kind of meant to be that way. Um, you know, he was the, the guy on the other side of the glass uh, listening to everything we were doing. You know, it's hard enough for me as a producer to produce myself because that's that's the hardest thing, I think, to be objective about your own performance. But in a situation where we were making two records at the same time, having his objective viewpoint and his expertise really uh, just was invaluable in, in, in so many different ways. Uh, he, he really went above and beyond. And did he, is he also going to be the co-producer of the, the next government mule album? Yes. Okay. Terrific. Um, you know, on, on the blues album, um, it's a mix of songs by blues artists that you interpreted, but there's also, um, uh, I believe six of your, your own songs on there. And the, the one song that, that hit me, particularly hard was whole in my soul. Can you tell me about how that, the, the songwriting process that, that led to whole in my soul? Uh, you know, it started with the lyric and then uh, eventually I started hearing this melody in my head. Um, I usually try to not rush the music until the melody has kind of been churning around in my head for quite some time, especially for this type of song. So once I picked up a guitar and, and started applying chord changes and stuff for it, um, this horn line came into my head that's, that's repeated throughout the tune. But when it really hit me, I didn't have a guitar with me, so I just sang it into my phone so I wouldn't forget <laughs> it. So I was, I'm walking around, like, singing this horn thing into, into, into my phone.
we got uh, the horn section that we normally with uh, work with uh, for our New Year's shows from time to time. Pam Fleming and, and Jenny Hill and, and Buford O'Sullivan. Uh, they came out to Connecticut and played on uh, two songs for the the blues record and two songs for the other record that we made as well. Um, and so they contributed a lot to the horn arrangements as well, even in the song Hole in My Soul, where I had come up with that particular line. Uh, Buford had a lot to do with the rest of the arrangement uh, for that tune. I wanted it to sound kind of like Bobby Blue Bland. It really had a, a, a lot of that influence. And some somebody else mentioned Cab Calloway. I don't think of it quite that far back, but it, it does have that kind of old school jazz meets blues meets rhythm and blues sort of horn vibe, you know. And did the horns, when they recorded with you, did they record in the same style as far as no headphones and in that intimate blues room that you established at, at Power Station? No, we overdubbed the horns, uh, but ironically, we we overdubbed the horn section for the blues songs in the little blues room. Okay. And we overdubbed the, the horns for the other album in the big room. So even the sound we were capturing was different from uh from one record to the other. Uh for the for the blues record, old RCA ribbon mics a little further away to give them a little more of a distant sound. And uh in the big room. There was a room mic involved, but there were also close mics like uh, uh, Neumanns and, and more high fidelity sort of uh, miking techniques and stuff. So it, it's interesting that you ask that because even though both sessions were uh, overdubs, we approached each of them very differently. And we've, we've talked um, about the vintage equipment that you used for the blues album and I've seen you in other interviews saying a lot of the equipment is older than you, than you are. Um, and did you, what was this equipment on hand at power station or did you have to assemble it and, and get it before the, the project? Uh, we brought most of the, most of it in ourselves. Uh, the studios about an hour and 15 minutes from my house and so we had a, a semi-truck come to my house and oh, wow. pick up all this old vintage gear, guitars, amps. And there's I have a a, a, a place where I store a, a lot of uh, that stuff that's close by here. And we just took as much gear as we possibly could into the studio for a few reasons. One of which was we were going to be there a really long time and it was the perfect opportunity. Normally I wouldn't have that chance to even do this. Uh, but another reason being that uh, since we had so much time, a lot of that gear is really finicky and some of it would be in need of repair or some sort of maintenance. And even the main gear that we use with government mule uh had not seen the light of day since Jamaica, where we were playing in 
in rainstorms and, and stuff. So we really felt like we needed a lot of tech time uh, to make sure all of our gear was in working order. So it was, it was a good opportunity for the crew as well to set up all this equipment and run through everything over the course of several weeks and get everything in working order, uh, which carried over to getting prepared for the tour. Sure. Absolutely. And uh, we, we talked about the horns, but how about hook um, the, the harmonica player? Um, did he record in the blues room with you in, in similar fashion? Hook recorded in Sweden where he's living oh, wow. these days. Uh, he's now back in the States, although I think he's on his way home to Sweden as we speak. Um, Hook's been living in Sweden for uh, a few years now, and it would have been great to have him in the room with us, but that wasn't possible. So I just asked him if he would uh, do it virtually. Uh, and so that was the the only part of the album that was recorded remotely. Okay. And uh, how did you decide what songs, in terms of the covers, uh, that, that you were going to record for the Blues album? Well, we've in the past done, uh, we've covered Sun House, we've covered Robert Johnson uh, on studio records. And in our live shows, there have been a lot of blues artists that get represented more than others. One of the Beacon shows that we did for New Year's was what we called the Three Kings, where we did a whole set of B.B. King, Freddie King, and Albert King. And at some point, we may re remix that and release it as a live record. So I, I felt like we've covered a lot of that stuff before. We wanted to mostly concentrate on artists that we had not done before, and especially on songs that we had not covered. You know, I didn't want to uh, make an album of blues songs that our audience has heard us play on stage. Sure. Uh, the one major exception on the standard uh, version of the album is Feel Like Breaking Up Somebody's Home, the old Ann Peebles song, which we do quite often. And we've kind of, through the years, worked up our own cool arrangement of it, which I thought was worthy of, of being uh, on, on this record. Also took a stab at uh, the Elton John song "Have Mercy on the Criminal," which we've done on stage several times, and it wound up on the the deluxe edition, which includes a, a bonus material. But otherwise, it was really, for the most part, songs that we had never played before, which uh, was very important to me that it be that way. And uh, were there any songs that were added to the mix? after you had started the sessions and you, you 
realized what the vibe was or did you wind up sticking with the list of songs that you came in with? Uh, I'm trying to think if we added anything to the list. I was still adding things the the few weeks prior to going into the studio, but I don't know if we added anything once we got into the studio. Uh, there were a couple of songs that we tried but weren't happy with the the versions that we did. But other than that, we pretty much utilized everything we recorded. And did Tom, was Tom Waits always part of the plan to, to include a Tom Waits song uh, on the album? It came about uh, when I was listening to that song specifically. Uh, I was listening to Make It Rain one night about two years ago and thought, oh, this could be a, on our blues record uh, or your my blues record or whatever that list was at that time. Uh, and so I added that that song to the to the list back at that point. Uh, I didn't go into it thinking, oh, we need to do a Tom Waits cover. It was just the song that made me think of that. And of course, we've covered several Tom Waits songs on stage before, but never that one. And uh, you recently played Heavy Load Blues in its entirety in Atlanta. Um, how, how was that experience from your end? You know, it was really cool. It was great to play all those so- songs live. Uh, a few of them we had played previously. I think uh, there was a show in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, where we played three or four of them. Uh, but it was the first time playing all of them. and a bit of a challenge because there's a lot of guitar changes and uh, uh, different tunings and Danny playing guitar on this song and piano on that song. And it it was uh, something we had to kind of uh, work up to. And so I think uh, as we play that stuff more and more and more, we're going to see it grow uh beyond the studio versions we wanted to keep it pretty concise for that particular performance absolutely and then the next night you played uh the the allman brothers um at at fillmore east and um i really uh, i i enjoy hearing you you play with charlie star so much um and it, it really that that came through uh fantastic that that night well, Charlie's great, and uh, we've become uh, close friends the last few years. And, and when the idea came up of uh, doing live at Fillmore East uh, in honor of the 50th anniversary, I thought, well, it'd be cool to get Charlie and, and Paul Riddle, the original drummer from the Marshall Tucker Band, to join us uh, for that. And they both did a, a fantastic job. Uh, that night was really magical. Uh, doing it in Atlanta was was great. You know, um, we did on the 29th, we did Heavy Load Blues in its entirety. And that was the anniversary of Dwayne Allman's death. And the next day, the 30th, we did Live at Fillmore East in honor of the 50th anniversary of, of, of that record. Um, and 
it was just uh, an opportunity that we couldn't let go past. You know, fiftieth <clears throat> only only happens once, and we're in Atlanta, and uh, let's do it. It 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 came about pretty quickly, and the music was very spontaneous, and I, I really have fond memories of that night. And then to end it with. Uh, and I think you joked at the beginning of the Mountain Jam encore that uh, we're we're going to end with a with a quick one here and, and started the uh, twenty minute version. Tommy Talton uh, joining us uh, on stage as well. And Tommy's history with Dwayne and with, with Greg and with uh, the Allman Brothers Band in general is a storied one. And he's a good friend and, and, uh, and, and a, a wonderful musician. So it was, it was just uh, a great way of, of celebrating all these different aspects of the music and the community and the brotherhood and, you know, uh, I'm, I'm glad it was all recorded and documented. You know? Absolutely. And uh, do you expect in 2022 to, to be focusing your, your musical endeavors on, on government mule? Yeah. Uh, you know, we would be in the middle of touring right now if it was advised uh, from a COVID standpoint, but I think, the advice everybody's getting at this point in time is let's give it a few months and then hopefully we can kind of be back to normal. So I'm hoping that by March or so we'll be back to a semi-normal touring schedule and we're going to be promoting heavy load blues. And at some point the next year, the, the next record will come out and we'll promote that. And, you know, uh, if all if all goes well, you know we can kind of uh, return to our normal nomad like behavior. <laughs> Absolutely, and the last uh, topic that I wanted to talk about was uh, Phil Lesh and and the quintet. And uh, you know we talk about chemistry, uh, so it's a good bookend to to our chat here. Um, how, how was it playing with those guys after all this time at the Capitol theater last month? It was fantastic. Uh, you know, that band plays together so well and we don't, we don't even have to talk. There's just a, a, a built in communication with that band that it's like its own organism. Uh, and it's a unique chemistry. One of the more unique chemistries I've ever been a part of and we all feel that same reverence 
for the chemistry of that band and for the opportunity to play together. Uh, I think we all viewed those three nights as just really fantastic and special. And I got to imagine, considering nearly all of the musicians were on stage the night before the run in other places, that you didn't have much time to rehearse for those shows. Is that right? We we rehearsed during the day, uh, every day. Okay. Uh, but otherwise, like I think Jimmy didn't arrive till the the day of the first show, so. Uh, yeah, we were all coming from different parts of the world and, and, you know, everybody carved out the time to be there for it. But, you know, we've discovered that that band works great under pressure uh, <laughs> and, and that, you know, it's sometimes you wish you had more time to prepare for something, but it always works out. And was there even talk of the set list before? Did you at least come in um, having an idea of what songs were going to be played? Was there any homework? <laughs> yeah, there was. And, and Phil and I had had conversations about, you know, he had, had uh, called me and said, uh, is there anything you specifically like for me to uh, include? And I, and I, I gave him, a handful of songs that I thought would be really fun. You know, I thought it would be fun as did he to bring uh, some of the material from there and back again to the stage, because that's the only time those songs get performed. Uh, You know, the only time I play as an example, the real thing, the only time I play that is solo uh, or, or with Phil Les Quintet. That song never gets played otherwise. Nobody knew where it came from Oh, but everybody knew Everybody knew it was the real thing No doubt about it The kind that you remember when they're gone The real thing Put here And uh, there are several of them that fall into that category, and those songs deserve to be played. And uh, it was just really an interesting three days or three nights of of music that covered so much ground. Absolutely. And, you know, speaking of, of Phil, he recently announced uh, the Terrapin Crossroads that, that has closed. And... Uh, you took part in uh, some of the opening shows that took place there. Well, first of all, do you, do you re- remember hearing from Phil the, about his idea for opening a venue? Yeah. Uh, I think we were went to dinner or something when he first brought it up uh, to me. He was very excited about it. And it, it was such a special uh, thing. I, I hate to see it, it go away, but it was, it was, so many people enjoyed so much great music in that venue. Uh, I was I was honored to be part of the the many times that I performed there. Um, but you know, 
it's been a challenging couple of years uh, on so many levels, and the music business uh, got hit as hard or harder than than most. Um, I hate to see Terrapin go, but it's it's got a very cool legacy that'll remain. Do you? Is there any specific memories that stand out from from your time playing there? Uh, there were a lot. Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed playing on the little small stage in the restaurant, uh, impromptu. There were times when several of us would just go overcrowd that stage and sit in with whoever was playing at the time. And, and, uh, it, people would look around and go, Oh, look, look, look who all is on that stage right now. <laughs> <laughs> they can barely fit. Um, I remember doing uh, the George Harrison song that we covered, uh, which I think, uh, Give Me Love, Give Me Peace, which I now do uh, solo sometimes, doing it for the first time, doing uh, Whipping Post in 11-8 time, not just the introduction, which is in 11-8, but the whole song, the 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 solos and the verses uh, in 11.8, which has never been done before or since. (laughs) Uh, That was really, really fun doing, uh, doing uh, jazz for all of what, what I call the, the jazz swing version of blues for all of that we came up with. Uh, (laughs) Sounds like blue train or something. I think I'm actually singing blue train, but we, that was fantastic, you know? Uh, But just, that was when the quintet got back together after being apart for so long. And what a, what an experience. And you played there again during opening weekend. And it was before the great room had been renovated. Um, it was kind of right after he had gotten in there. Yeah. Uh, do Do you remember coming back? Uh, 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 I believe about a year later and seeing what it had turned into. Do you have any? Do you remember? Oh yeah, that? yeah. It's coming back and being like, "Wow, look what you guys have done with this," and and the whole restaurant vibe, and uh, you know, bringing in chefs and expanding everything. Everything was great. And and I also remember being there with uh with Larry Campbell uh right before Levon passed away. And and I remember poignantly Larry telling me that they had just done a little short run with Levon on the road. Uh, and he said one of the nights Levon sang the best he had sung in years. And I remember him telling me that. And then shortly after that, we got the call that that he was gone. You know, Uh, I I was very close to Levon and and honored our friendship and all the times that we played together. And, uh, you know, I think his ramble in some ways probably inspired Terrapin. You know, absolutely. Uh, and the, the, I only did the ramble two times back then. The first time with Levon, and the second time, uh, they called me to see if I would come 
and not fill in for him. That's not the right way to describe it. But he had decided that he needed to go down south and uh, he was going to miss the show. And they asked me if I would come and do it uh, in honor of that, so to speak. So uh, the last time I did uh, did the ramble was with him not being there, which was not a good sign. Absolutely. And I also, I think at Terrapin, um, I was, I was just looking back and one of the lineups had, uh, Neil Casal, um, Mm -hmm. in it. Um, and, uh, do you have fond memories of performing with Neil? I I love Neil. He was such a sweet soul and, and, you know, Neil's actually one of the people that I met when I first came to New York. Uh, wow. Neil and, and John Ginty, and they were really close. Uh, and so uh, my relationship with Neil goes way, way back. Um, when I was first introduced to him, he was uh, really doing more of a singer-songwriter kind of thing at, at that time, and, and Ginty was playing a lot with him. And then through the years, I saw him branch out into so many different directions and, and, you know, the, the stuff he was doing with, with schools and with Chris Robinson. And, uh, you know, he, he wrote so many cool songs through the years and songs that could be interpreted uh, and are being interpreted for this, uh, highway butterfly collection that, that's out, you know? Uh, but he was one of those guys that could wear a lot of hats and had a lot of influences and, you see him in one situation playing a certain way and then see him in another situation playing completely different, which was, was great. Absolutely. Well, Warren, thank you so much for your time. I hope you, um, I I hope you stay safe and uh, looking forward to seeing that the band is going to be returning to the Beacon theater to end the year uh, on new year's. Um, I I think the, the, the theme you've hinted at uh, is, black and blue uh, uh yeah and we're gonna have special guests uh jimmy vivino and sean pelton uh with us for the thematic portion of, of the show black and blue is a pretty vague uh yeah. <laughs> description and i think hinted at is is pretty accurate you know we're we tend to not give away a whole lot a lot of people figure it out by the time uh, showtime comes around, but it gives us a lot of latitude to interpret it a lot of different ways. And it'll just be something exciting. I, I've been telling people that at this point, we've done Halloween and New Year's so many times that we have to kind of reinvent the concept of the concept. So <laughs> it's, it's uh, you know, we, we don't want to just keep doing a classic album or a classic band or, or uh, uh, what have you, uh, we're going to have to kind of come up with uh, more obscure takes on a theme, you know? Absolutely. Well, stay well. And thanks again for your time. Good to see you. I'm born to trouble.
that brings us to the end of this episode of the Jambase Podcast. Our many thanks to Warren Haynes for coming back to talk to us again. If you haven't yet, be sure to check out the new Government Mule album, Heavy Load Blues, wherever you find good music. Our thanks to all of you out there for listening. We couldn't have done it the last four years without you. Here's to many more. Thanks also to Jake Alexander for producing the episode. We'll be back next week. So in the meantime, stay safe out there and go see live music. <laughs>